You're listening to a podcast from Civil Wars in History. This online conference was a collaboration between the Centre for War Studies at University College Dublin and the Society for the History of War. The conference was supported by the UCD School of History and UCD Humanities Institute and took place on the 10th and 11th of September 2021. Papers and panels covered a range of theme topics from the early modern period to the 20th century. Three of the conference keynote lectures are now available as podcasts and videos via UCD Humanities Institute and on historyhub.ie. In this episode, Ideas of Civil Wars, a keynote lecture by Professor David Armitage from Harvard University. Professor Armitage was introduced by Professor Robert Gerwart from University College Dublin. Our third keynote speaker, David Armitage, who of course will be known to many of you, Uh, He uh, teaches both intellectual and international history at Harvard University, where he has also uh, served as chair of the Harvard History Department. Uh, David uh, previously uh, taught at Columbia, but has also held uh, various prestigious uh, visiting appointments across uh, Europe, the US, and indeed Australasia, uh, and is a member of numerous national academies and learned societies. Uh, He is the uh, author and uh, or editor of uh, countless award-winning and uh, widely translated books uh, with a remarkable geographical and thematic uh, range uh, from imperial to oceanic uh, history, uh, from legal to intellectual history. And uh, for the purposes of uh, this conference, his much celebrated 2017 book, Civil Wars, A History in Ideas, uh, is obviously of particular relevance Uh, not least because David tried to do something that historians rarely dare to do, namely to offer a long durée intellectual history of evolving and changing ideas of civil war from ancient Rome to the present day, uh, thus using a time frame that is even uh, wider than the 200 uh, year time span explored by uh, Statis Kalavas uh, this morning. So uh, we're really looking forward uh, to hearing from you, David, and of course the topic uh, of his keynote lecture is Ideas of Civil War. Thank you so much, Robert, for that very, very warm uh, welcome. And thank you also to the panelists this morning. Uh, I'm afraid I didn't get up quite early enough to hear the very first panel, but I've been enthralled by uh, the papers I have heard on the remaining two panels today, uh, many of which uh, either consciously or more likely unconsciously have, I think, set my uh, keynote up now extremely well by touching on precisely the issues I want to deal with in the next 25 or 30 minutes, which are uh, exactly the questions of the contestability, the essential contestability of the idea of civil war, um, the uh, touchiness of its applicability in various different contexts, uh, geographical, political, and chronological, uh, and some of the implications that come from uh, the awkward navigation that we all have to make, and uh, this has come up in many discussions already, uh, between insiders' views of what their conflicts were, what their form was, what their etiology was, uh, even what their future might be, and the way in which we as historians and indeed other human scientists uh, might consider these conflicts in the aggregate or 
across time. So uh, what I will do again in the next few minutes is to recap some of the, uh, the points from my book to remind those of you who may have read it, uh, uh, but also to fill in some of the gaps for those of you who may not, uh, because I think this will help us to tie together some of the very, very productive discussions which have already emerged within the papers and then in the very rich Q&A uh, sessions which have followed uh, previous panels already today. So I think uh, an impression uh, that one would get from this conference as one would get indeed just looking at the headlines or surveying the contemporary world today is that civil war seems to be at once everywhere and nowhere. By the late 20th century, as interstate war had almost vanished, civil war, or to use the broadest possible definition for the moment, war internal to a single community, political or otherwise, civil war had become humanity's most destructive and also, we might say, most characteristic form of organized large-scale violence. In 2020, uh, the last year for which we have anything like reliable figures, uh, 2020 was the year, in fact, with the highest number of armed conflicts, that is 56 armed conflicts recorded globally since 1946. But only three of those 56 conflicts were solely between rather, uh, rather than within states. All the remaining 53 um, conflicts were either uh, civil wars internal to a single state or polity, or in uh, the vast majority of cases, truly the vast majority of cases, uh, what political scientists who study such conflicts call internationalized civil wars, um, thereby um, taking on some of the characteristics of the earlier civil wars, which we've been talking about today, going back even to the 16th century. It's very difficult to speak of any civil wars being entirely civil in the sense of being solely confined to one single uh, self-defining and stable community. We were all discovered in our historical studies of particular case studies and then serially how difficult it is to find uh, any examples of conflicts which uh, fulfill those criteria. In some sense, almost all civil wars are internationalized or at the very least pluralized uh, in those terms. However, despite that overwhelming prominence of quotes, civil wars of whatever flavor or species, there's still, I think, remarkably, a striking absence of sustained theoretical reflection on the topic of civil war and a more general failure to confront civil war as a, both an enduring and ever-changing historical phenomenon. Even though concerns about civil war and its cognates can be found across the Western canon political and social thought from Aristotle and even before to Giorgio Agamben, for example, in our own time, the subject still lacks a major work of theoretical synthesis uh, for commentary to circle around in the manner of, say, Clausewitz's Vom Krieger or Hannah Arendt's On Revolution. Indeed, in the vast body of his, his writings, Clausewitz hardly discussed civil war. Meanwhile, Arendt dismissed civil war, along with war itself, of course, as atavistic and anti-modern. And in the words of Agamben himself, I tend usually to disagree profoundly with almost everything Agamben writes, but in this case, I do agree with him. Agamben has written, there exists today both a polemology, that is a theory of war, and an ironology, a theory of peace. But there is no stasiology, as he terms it, no theory of civil war. 
I tried in a modest way uh, to begin filling at least part of that gap in my book, Civil Wars, A History and Ideas, uh, though without uh, any grand uh, theoretical ambitions for it. And I offered there what I called uh, an unblinking encounter with this terrifying topic to account, at least in part, historically for its ubiquity and, to some extent at least, to clarify its obliquity. In my brief remarks today, I want to recap some of the main points of the book, not least to help us to see commonalities as well as divergences among the rich array of case studies in the papers presented today and tomorrow at this conference. Until very recently, uh, comparative and long durée treatment of civil war or civil wars was rare to non-existent. The treatment of such conflicts, reinforced by what's been called the methodological nationalism of the social sciences as a whole, that is by viewing them almost exclusively within specific national or occasionally imperial contexts, whether punctually in the case of individual civil wars or serially when they recurred, uh, we've, we've tended by and large to bump up against the boundaries of that methodological nationalism, even as uh, the majority of case studies even presented today have shown how slippery uh, any idea of the nation or the nation state as a container for civil wars becomes when we examine conflicts in any detail or try, try to reconstruct the experiences of those who suffered through them. What such approaches, that is these methodologically nationalist approaches, non-comparative approaches lacked, was any optic for viewing the connections among civil wars across time and over space. As I'll note again in a moment, calling a war civil, either as a participant, or an, an observer, or as an external analyst, uh, maybe with the distance of time, to call a war civil is to make fundamental assumptions about boundaries, and therefore about inclusion and exclusion. That is, regarding who is part of a polity or community, even or perhaps especially in the context of enmity. With this in mind, we might even say there's an elective affinity between the study of civil war and the reversion to nationalist or similar frames of analysis. But one way to evade the grip of methodological nationalism, I would argue, is precisely to broaden our view in space, and perhaps especially over time, to examine such com conflict comparatively and in the aggregate. That is precisely what this groundbreaking conference aims to achieve and is already uh, richly achieving, as we've heard in papers today. And I hope to make a very modest contribution to that overall achievement with this talk. As those of you who've already read my book will know, I tried to contribute to the impressive and accumulating literature on civil wars by treating specifically ideas of civil war. I called what I wrote there a history in ideas of civil war rather than a history of ideas of civil war for two main reasons. The first was parochial, that is my own parish of inter, uh, intellectual history. I didn't want my long durée intellectual history to be confounded with the traditional history of ideas associated with uh, the philosopher historian Arthur Lovejoy in the interwar period or his imitators, a procedure, the history of ideas, that's been, I think, mostly correctly criticized for divorcing ideas from their contexts, for assuming some kind of eternal durability for them, and for rendering them disembodied, existing far above merely human concerns in some kind of platonic empyrean. Instead, and here's my second motivation, I wanted to relate this history or congerie of histories of civil war through the use of the term and its cognates in argument 
as a mobile, dynamic object of contestation, thrashed out in controversy with no stable meaning and certainly no sempaternal identity. My central point, which I'll reiterate here, is that civil war is, and I think always has been, a contested concept and a focus of contestation in itself. Indeed, ever since it was invented by the Romans over 2000 years ago, who were the first to call their most destructive and most intimate conflicts, both civil and war. Civil wars, history and ideas was based on the assumption that a phenomenon that had an identifiable beginning in Republican Rome might one day have a discernible end in our own time, or perhaps if we can be hopeful soon after. The work traced conceptions of civil war across two millennia, from the ancient Mediterranean to the global present. My aim in that reconstruction was precisely deconstruction, to show that civil war was a human creation, not some kind of natural burden for humanity always to endure, something embedded in our DNA as some uh, particularly um, uh, evolutionarily mindedly or pseudo evolutionary mindedly uh, minded social scientists have suggested in recent years. In particular, I wanted to show the contingency of enduring and contested concepts in order to expose them precisely as artificial and instrumental. There had once been a world without civil war, I would argue, that is in the centuries before the Roman invention of what they called bellum civile, civil war, in the first century BCE. And there would also be later worlds without civil war in this sense, conceptually at least, for example, in East Asia before the 19th century. The globalization of originally Western or Mediterranean political concepts like civil war, and then their hybridization with ideas of internal conflict from other traditions like Islamic traditions or Sinic traditions, for instance, could give the impression that civil war is universal as well as eternal, at least when viewed from our present. However, what I wanted to show by my historical treatment was that the entanglement of interpretive traditions is itself quite recent and again contingent. It should therefore be possible to think beyond and outside of that entanglement. Reconstructing the elaboration and the cross-fertilization of ideas of civil war was one means at least uh, that I used to do that. More than most other forms of conflict, civil wars spring from deep and deadly divisions, and of course, deepen those divisions and make them even more lethal in turn. But they also, and this, is, this was one of the crucial points of my book, I think, they also expose identities and commonalities. Indeed, to call a war civil is precisely to acknowledge the familiarity of the enemies of, as members of the same community, however that community may be defined or bounded. That is, to see one's enemies not as outsiders or as foreigners, but rather as insiders, as fellow citizens. This, again, went back precisely to the Romans, who named their conflicts after the enemy they fought. Uh, we tend, or uh, we have tended in the last century, for instance, to name our wars either after the place uh, where they're, uh, uh, they're being fought, the Vietnam War, or uh, to think of them in terms of um, their, uh, their temporal boundaries, uh, for instance. But for the Romans, uh, their general form of naming wars was precisely to call them after their enemy. So when they called their uh, internal conflicts uh, bella cavilia, uh, that is the plural of bellum cavile, uh, these were wars against kives, kives 
that is the Roman term for politically and legally defined fellow citizens. And from that word, um, kives and the adjective kivile that comes from it, of course, we get other uh, rather more reassuring terms like civil and civility and even civilization itself, and also, of course, civilian. They called their civil struggles war when they had all the outward signs of formal warfare as the Romans recognized them, drums and trumpets, flags and generals, for instance. This was war as the Romans saw it, bellum, and it was civil, kivile, in, again, bellum kivile. But because the Romans believed a war could only be just if it was fought against an external enemy, these internal enemies were uniquely unsettling for the Romans. The resulting idea of civil war was deliberately paradoxical, even oxymoronic. A war which could not be a war according to the standard Roman definitions of what a war was, that is fought against an external enemy, um, fought against enemies who were technically not enemies at all, fellow citizens who are part of the Roman community itself. Civil war has something atrocious about it. The German Nazi political theorist Karl Schmitt later remarked, civil war is fraternal war because it is conducted within a common political unit and because, and this is the crucial point, and because both warring sides at the same time absolutely affirm and absolutely deny that common unit. That, I think, is one basic source of our horror about civil wars. We should not underestimate the effect of civil wars precisely in forcing a recognition of commonality amid confrontation, of making us see ourselves in the mirror of enmity, of recognizing identity, whether, uh, whether at uh, the point of a sword or down the barrel of a gun. Civil war, I've argued, has been paradoxically fertile, conceptually at least, in part because there's never been a time when its definition was settled or could be settled to everyone's satisfaction or when the term could be used without question or without contestation. This is in part, again, I've argued, because civil war has been disputed and debated within so many different historical contexts and different uh, historical traditions. Naming, and this again, this is something that came up in the, uh, the questions after the last session, naming is always a form of framing. The application of the term civil war can depend upon whether you're a ruler or a rebel, a victor or the vanquished, an established government or an interested third party. The battle over names can continue long after the conflict has ceased. For example, to use the term civil war to describe between the, the struggle between the Italian resistance and the fascist government during World War II remains controversial to this day because of the ethical equivalence it seems to imply between the two sides. Yet how do we tell civil wars apart from other kinds of conflict when so many internal conflicts spill over their country's borders or draw in competent, competent and outside parties, uh, uh, external parties from outside, as happened, for example, in Liberia, Liberia and Rwanda in the 1990s, as well as in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, Syria more recently. What, in short, is civil war or even a civil war? Any complex idea, and I insist that civil war is a complex idea, any complex idea like civil war has multiple pasts. Historians can show the paths not taken, as well as the many and winding roads by which we came to our current understandings. My history in ideas of civil war investigated a key idea in Western and latterly global argument, 
in its multiple historical contexts from ancient Rome to the modern Middle East and South Asia. And in it, I identified three major turning points in arguments over the meaning of civil war across those centuries. The first in the late 18th century came at the moment when contemporaries needed to distinguish civil war from another overwhelming category of violent and transformative upheaval, that is, from revolution. The second turning point came uh, relatively soon after, in the middle of the 19th century, I argued, and it occurred when the first attempts were made to pin down the meanings of civil war in legal vocabulary, an effort made not coincidentally during the conflict we now know as the American Civil War of 1861 to 65. And the third key turning point I identified came during the late phase of the Cold War, when social scientists decided to define the term to help them analyze the conflicts going on around the world during an era of proxy wars and decolonization. Our confusions about the meaning and application of civil war to contemporary conflicts, contemporary that is to us now or in recent years, are, I believe, the product of the concept's long and contested history. And only with the help of history, I argue, can we understand just why its meaning remains so controversial today among historians and other social scientists, but of course, within a broader public as well. One of the methodological arguments of my book was that civil war, like similarly contested concepts with enduring histories, accumulates meanings over time without ever quite casting off all its earlier connotations. In this sense, I think civil war is rather like ancient Rome in Sigmund Freud's famous metaphor in his civilization and its discontents, in which, of course, speaking about the way in which he thinks of the mind, uh, he says, all the earlier phases of development continue to exist alongside the latest one. Where the Colosseum now stands in Rome, we could at the same time admire Nero's vanished golden house. Uh, that is the, the layering of successive discourses of civil war, like Freud's metaphor of the layering of the uh, overlapping and intertwining uh, uh, levels of the mind itself. Uh, the layering of successive discourses of civil war for example, those from the social sciences of the 1960s, being laid over a legal language going back and through the Geneva Conventions to the Lieber Code in the 1860s, and back to natural lawyers in the 18th century, for instance, which while all of that being in turn superimposed upon Roman conceptions of Bellum Cuvile, all of those layerings, that stratification means that our contemporary languages of civil war retain many elements from prior conceptions, whether we know it or not. Uh, sometimes we're spoken by our language or our historic languages. Uh, and one thing a historian of ideas can do is to, to peel back and demystify some of those languages to show how they continue to jostle, even when we're in, uh, uh, in ignorance of the consciousness of that. The job of the intellectual historian in this sense becomes archeological. Again, peeling back the various strata to show how they were laid down, how they have persisted, and also how they've impacted upon one another over time and indeed into the present. And I think this is particularly uh, uh, felicitous uh, procedure in relation to, uh, to civil war for a reason that's been articulated beautifully by the Vietnamese writer Viet Tan Nguyen recently. Uh, Nguyen has written, all wars are fought twice, the first time on the battlefield, the second time in memory. Again, I think that could be a motto for basically all the papers that we've heard today, even going back to the 16th century. That, I think, that double battle uh, in on the battlefield and then on the battlefield of memory is especially true of civil wars. 
A few countries in the world have imagined themselves free of civil war, very few. Others can hardly imagine themselves without the memory of civil war. The United States, where I sit now, for one, where the legacy of civil war still divides society bitterly 150 years after the end of the conflict or the apparent end of the conflict, the formal end of the conflict. It was asked earlier today, when do civil wars end? Um, T.S. Eliot and others uh, have said nomically, but I think very importantly in fundamental senses, many, if not most civil wars, uh, do not end at all precisely because of that continuing battle on the field of memory. The international community perceives still other parts of the world let's say Iraq, for instance, as, the, as apparently perpetual battlegrounds of unending civil wars, like Rome's Afghanistan may be moving back into this category even as we speak. In each case, there seems little doubt about what is and what is not civil war. Everyone knows it when they see it, it seems. But the benefit of history, I think, and perhaps the curse of remembering that history, is the knowledge that civil war has never been quite as stable or transparent a category as its use in popular speech might imply. Civil war, I insist, was not a fact of nature waiting to be discovered. It was an artifact of human culture that had to be invented, and it was the Romans who, in, who invented it. When they did invent it, or when they had invented it, again in the first century BCE, they adopted it rather gingerly, very reluctantly at first. For a long time, they indeed used the term only with trepidation. Yet some such conflicts came back so often across the history of the Roman Republic and into the early decades of the Roman Empire that they appeared to be woven into the very fabric of Roman public and political life. The Roman historians who wrote about this phenomenon, this serial phenomenon, uh, created a narrative, in fact, a series of narratives, a set of different and overlapping narratives of their own civilization as being prone to civil war and even cursed by civil war. A set of narratives that would endure for centuries and inform later understandings of uh, civil war across early modern and indeed into modern Europe and beyond. Indeed, for more than 1500 years, I've argued civil war, at least uh, in the West, in the broadest sense of that term, civil war was viewed through Rome tinted spectacles. These Roman or Romanoid explanations and the narratives that carried them forward through time provided the repertoire from which later thinkers in Europe, especially between the 16th and 18th centuries, drew their own conceptions of civil war. They only began to escape the Roman heritage when they uh, also began to distinguish two conceptual clusters, as I mentioned already, uh, those clusters being civil war on the one hand and revolution on the other, and this took place in the late 18th century. These two forms, overlapping as they were, but distinct as they had to be, these two forms of violent political upheaval would drift apart from each other with quite distinct moral and political implications. Civil wars came to appear backward-looking, destructive, and regressive. Revolutions, by contrast, were thought of as future-oriented, fertile, and progressive. Successful civil wars, like the first American Civil War, or what we call the American War of Independence now, such successful civil wars were often rebranded as revolutions. Again, think of the American Revolution. Revolutionaries would often later deny that they'd ever been engaged in civil wars, and we can easily perform the political conjugation. I am a revolutionary, you are a rebel, those people over there, well, they're engaged in a civil war. 
The 19th century marked another great moment of conceptual transformation for civil war as the attempt to civilize civil war, to bring it under the domain of law, uh, gathered speed. As historians like John Fabian Witt and more recently Samuel Moyne have shown, this paradoxical process of attempting to render the inhumanity of war humane uh, began in the 1860s with some antecedents with the first modern codifications of the laws of war by Francis Lieber, a Prussian-born lawyer who emigrated to the US uh, and produced the so-called Lieber Code, again, in the context of the US Civil War. And that uh, attempt to humanize, to render humane uh, war, including civil war, culminated in the revision to the Geneva Conventions after the Second World War, with consequences that cascade right down to the present. Civilizing civil war in particular remains a task for the international legal community right down to our own time. The roots of their concern and the tensions civil war raised within what we now call international humanitarian law are the subject of the latter part of my book. The 1960s provided another pivotal moment when post-war social scientists, scientists started to take an interest in big data about large-scale conflict. And out of that moment emerged the first attempts to define civil war up to and including um, the, uh, the famous definition produced by the Correlates of War Project at the University of Michigan. I'm sure all of you uh, can uh, recite uh, this definition because it's uh, very widely used, albeit with some refinements. Civil war, uh, as defined by uh, the Correlates of War Project, is, quotes, a sustained military conflict primarily internal, resulting in at least 1,000 battlefield deaths per year, pitting central government forces against an insurgent force capable of inflicting upon the government forces at least 5% of the fatalities the insurgents sustain. I can see you all mentally running that through your various uh, particular uh, uh, conflicts, the conflicts you study uh, in history and across time. Now, the big problem, and there are many problems with that seemingly precise definition, the big problem with that definition, of course, especially for historians, is it would have failed to capture numerous conflicts as civil wars that contemporaries had described in precisely those terms. It wouldn't encompass the American War of Independence, the Swiss Zonderbund War of 1847, the Irish Civil War, the Algerian War of Independence, the Northern Irish Troubles, and many, many other conflicts which contemporaries thought of as civil and as wars. Yet, despite its shortcomings and despite later refinements, uh, that definition remains the basic working definition of civil war used to this day among political scientists, whether they're compiling data sets, uh, like the Correlates of War project or uh, the Oslo uh, project on, on, uh, uh, on aggregate uh, analysis of, of civil war, or when they go into public to talk about particular conflicts, uh, for example, in Iraq or Syria or Afghanistan as civil wars. That contentious definition uh, has been used to give some clarity to civil war as a global phenomenon in the aggregate, that is. But I think it cannot account for global civil war a briefly prestigious and fertile idea of civil war that arose in the, in the early 2000s, but has largely disappeared from discourse in more recent years. Across the course of the 20th century, the boundaries of the community within which civil wars took place expanded beyond those of states, nations, and empires to encompass the whole world in a conception of global civil war. This was found, or rather it coalesced or congealed, especially in the early 1960s, simultaneously in the writings of an unlikely trio, Carl Schmitt, John F. Kennedy, and Hannah Arendt. 
that expansion of the conception of civil war and the community within which civil conflict could be conducted had deep roots in various strains of cosmopolitan thought, which had long suggested that all wars among humans were civil wars uh, because fought among fellow citizens of the human community or the human oikumene. In our interconnected world, no war can be entirely civil any longer. The idea of global civil war may in fact have disappeared, but the global significance of civil war patently remains. As the great Syrian political analyst Yassin Al-Haj Saleh has powerfully written of his own home country, Syria, Syria was a crisis of the world. No one is too distant to be a neighbor. No one is too alien not to belong to us. No one is too monstrous to be involved in politics. That complicity, as he describes it, demands nothing less than that we rethink what he calls our own responsibility for the world and the world's responsibility for us in Syria. And again, we could use very similar words to talk about Iraq or Afghanistan or Yemen, for instance. Since I mentioned Syria, let's go back to Syria just for a moment, to the beginnings of the Syrian conflict uh, in 2011-2012. At that point, ordinary Syrians knew very well throughout 2011 and the first half of 2012, that what they were experiencing mid contention with the regime of Bashar al-Assad was indeed civil war. Outside Syria, however, interested parties across the globe debated whether or not Syria had descended into civil war. For example, in December 2011, the White House spokesperson uh, demurred when asked if he agreed with a UN official that Syria was experiencing civil war. We think violence needs to end in Syria, he said earnestly. Um, and that includes among the opposition elements. But there's no way to equate the two, which in my view is implied in using the term civil war. Indeed, it took the International Committee of the Red Cross until July 2012, more than a year into the conflict, and after as many as 17,000 people may already have perished in Syria, to confirm that what was taking place in Syria was, in fact, an armed conflict not of an international character. Those weaselly words, of course, being uh, the formal definition of a civil war or non-international armed conflict used in international humanitarian law. Only when the ICRC had made that determination would it become possible for the relevant parties to be covered by the relevant provisions of the Geneva Conventions, for instance. The reluctance to call that conflict a civil war or a non-international armed conflict has become typical of international organizations in our own century, because so much politically, militarily, legally, and ethically now hangs on the use or the withholding of the term. A set of legal protocols, the Geneva Conventions, designed to humanize the conduct of civil war and to bring to bear humanitarian constraints on its practice and to minimize some of the terrible human cost of civil war has served in recent years only to constrain international actors in their attitudes towards Syria and other conflicts. We can compare this Syrian instance with a legal judgment handed down more recently in 2018 by the Swiss Federal Criminal Court. This related to the so-called dirty war in Algeria of the 1990s and early 2000s. The question before the court at that point was whether or not Algeria had, had been in a state of war and more specifically, if there had been a non-international armed conflict in progress in Algeria at that point. Now, why did that matter? Why did it matter to the court? For two reasons. First, 
non-international armed conflict, or NIAC, as international humanitarian, humanitarian lawyers say, is the technical legal term for, again, what in everyday speech we call a civil war, coming from the Geneva Conventions. If it could be shown that there was indeed such a non-international armed conflict in Algeria uh, at the time covered by this particular case, then any acts committed during that time would fall under the provisions of the Geneva Conventions rather than of, say, Algerian domestic law alone. The second reason was the urgent one before the court, having uh, uh, worked through that first one. One of the most powerful men during the civil war in Algeria was Khaled Nazar, a general who in 1990 was Minister of Defense and from 1992 to 94, a leading member of the military junta that came to power after deposing Algeria's president. Nazar was accused of complicity in as many as 200,000 murders and extrajudicial killings and in the torture of tens of thousands more Algerians. Some of his victims attempted to use the Swiss court to prosecute Nazar, but in 2017, the Swiss attorney general had rejected their case on the grounds that, quotes, the alleged actions of the former minister of defense in Algeria could not be considered as war crimes on the ground, on the grounds that there was no armed conflict in Algeria when the events occurred. On appeal, the Swiss Federal Criminal Court ruled uh, against that judgment that there had in fact been a non-international armed conflict in Algeria during the relevant time. Nazar could no longer claim immunity. Instead, he could be prosecuted for war crimes under the Geneva Conventions. According to the uh, Swiss court, Nazar was not engaged in domestic police actions, but rather in acts of war during a non-international armed conflict within Algeria. His actions might therefore be prosecuted as crimes against humanity. Justice might be long in coming, but it could only come at all once that empirical and legal determination about civil war or non-international armed conflict in Algeria had been made. Nazar still to this day remains free after being smuggled recently out of Spain back to Algeria to avoid extradition. But the FCC's judgment remains the first such judgment to identify Algeria in particular as being in a state of civil war uh, during its so-called black decade. And we might compare this, for instance, uh, with uh, judgments made by the International Criminal Tribunal on the former Yugoslavia about the state of civil war taking place there, uh, rather than uh, the application of domestic uh, law, therefore acts of war, war crimes being committed in that context as well. As such examples from Syria, from Algeria, and also from the former Yugoslavia can reveal, it's highly difficult to decide just which features define civil war and equally hard to determine how they might be assigned to particular conflicts, whether in the near present, when we have, of course, an abundance of evidence and living witnesses, uh, but even more difficult, again, as many papers today have already shown, to conflicts in a more distant past. Being precise in the sense of using clear definitions turns out to be inescapably political and ideological in relation to civil war. The elements of definitions of civil war, as much as their application, are always matters for principled dispute, increasingly conducted within the ideological constraints of legal language or the language of the social sciences, for instance. And that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, non-elasticity of definition seems to be especially true of civil war, an essentially contested concept about the essential elements of contestation itself. Now, where a philosopher, 
A lawyer, even a political scientist, might find only confusion in such wrangling over the term civil war. A historian finds opportunity, an opportunity to reconstruct uh, through uh, history in ideas, in my case, the way in which the term civil war and its cognates have been used in argument over time and to show the politics of those applications in the past and in the present. The application of the term civil war becomes even more fraught uh, when we realize uh, that it's a term that has both technical meanings, legal and social scientific, as well as vernacular ones, that is in general speech. Think, for example, of the proliferation of the language of civil war in politics around the world in the past decade. To take just a handful of examples, among great many, in uh, 2017, the New Yorker in the United States worried that under Donald Trump, the country might be headed to a new kind of civil war. And other commentators talked about a cold civil war uh, taking place under the Trump administration. A few months later, French President Emmanuel Macron warned in April 2018 that a form of European civil war was reappearing with the rise of illiberalism across the continent. In parallel fashion, the German political scientist Ulrike Guerreau wrote of the crisis in the European as der Neue Bürgerkrieg, the new civil war. They each echoed widespread threats or fears of civil war from across the political spectrum on both sides of the Atlantic. And one could find this in places like Brazil as well, for instance. Talk of civil war, of course, ramped up again in the US after the presidential election of 2020, and especially around the capital insurrection of January 2021. More recently, only six months ago, Benjamin Netanyahu was warning, of course, for naked electoral reasons, as missiles rained down across, over Israeli territory, about the possibility of civil wars between Arab and Jewish Israelis. Within broadly democratic societies, promotion of resistance through violence in the language of civil war still remains mostly the preserve of the extreme right as in the case, for example, of Gertz Kubitschek, the German anti-immigrant theorist of what he calls pre-civil war, for Bürgerkrieg, for instance. For proponents of civil war, that is people actively uh, encouraging or merely hoping for civil war, the contest will be waged against those they deem to be alien, extraneous, or not citizens at all. In this sense, their conception of civil war represents precisely a subversion and rejection of the classical conceptions are anatomized in civil wars, which of course acknowledge the commonality amid conflict among fellow citizens. Now my own history of ideas of civil war, to wrap up these remarks, my own history of ide in ideas of civil war was mostly confined to the Mediterranean and Atlantic worlds, with some sidelights on how the languages of civil war went global through international institutions that propagate social scientific rationality or aim to uphold humanitarian law, for instance. My modest hope was that civil wars might inspire historians of world regions beyond the global north to reconstruct their local, lang local languages of internal or intestine or civil conflict in similar genealogical and archeological fashion. That might not yet produce a synthesis, but I think it might confirm civil war's usefulness in revealing the nature and limits of politics in distinct contexts across space and time and the multiple articulations of politics with violence. And I'm glad, and I must say even a little proud, to, to report that that proliferation of new studies is exactly what's been happening in recent years. For example, those of you uh, who uh, pay attention to the classics will have seen an upsurge of really excellent work on the civil wars of ancient Rome and in, even of ancient Greece. 
I also attended a conference a couple of years ago on Arabic and Islamic conceptions of fitna, uh, for instance. And later this autumn, in a few weeks, in fact, Princeton University Press will publish Violent Fraternity, a truly brilliant book by Shruti Kapala, a historian, intellectual historian from Cambridge, on political thought in modern South Asia, which attends precisely to the articulation of political violence with commonality, fraternity, violent fraternity indeed, as her title uh, uh, suggests. Now, my own engagement over a decade with ideas of civil war led me to the conclusion that the long view of civil wars, like the long view of civil wars being taken in this conference, can in the end encourage three things, humility, complexity, and even some hope. Humility, because we can see over the long durée that much of what we think we now know about civil wars has been discovered centuries, even millennia ago. For instance, when contemporary social scientists tell us that civil wars last longer, recur more often, and leave deeper wounds than other kinds of conflict, they're recapitulating something the Romans had discovered during their civil wars. Then complexity. Complexity because our, our struggles over the meaning and the significance of civil war arise from multiple histories that jostle and collide in the present. Controversies over the meaning of civil war arise from civil war's multiple histories, which need to be carefully excavated within different traditions to be properly understood. And those meanings have to be located, again, precisely with reference to local circumstances, as well as within long durée perspectives. But finally, what grounds might there possibly be for hope, even for a somewhat tempered hope? The long view, I think, shows that civil war may not be a congenital curse for humanity, but that it might be an affliction instead that we can gradually cure. To be sure, again, to repeat what I began with, almost all the conflicts in progress around the world uh, at the moment began within the boundaries of a single polity or state, and many have become internationalized, even as we still call them civil wars. Nonetheless, to take some hopeful signs, the entire Western hemisphere of the Americas is largely free of civil war for almost the first time in two centuries. And major civil wars, for example, in Sri Lanka and more recently in Colombia, have been terminated after decades of death and destruction by negotiated agreements, though not without some continuing aftershocks as well, of course. Perhaps we might say, just perhaps, humanity is at last within sight of uninventing what the Romans had first invented just over 2000 years ago. Until we do achieve that, we still need history, I insist, and a very long view of history to assess the future prospects for escaping one of humanity's most destructive discontents. And it is just that long view of history that this pivotal conference can indeed provide. Thank you very much for your attention. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Civil Wars in History. This online conference was a collaboration between the Centre for War Studies at University College Dublin and the Society for the History of War. The conference was supported by UCD School of History and UCD Humanities Institute and took place on the 10th and 11th of September 2021. Three of the conference keynote lectures are now available as podcasts and videos via UCD Humanities Institute and on historyhub.ie.